Chris shared a few minutes ago, this morning we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together. And each Sunday that we dedicate and set aside for the purpose of celebrating the Lord's Supper, because it is a celebration, it's a reminder to each and every one of us of what Jesus Christ has done for us and accomplished for us. So each week that we do this, we want the the Lord's Supper to be the centerpiece of what we're doing. It's not something that we tack on to the end of our service. It's not something that we rush through. And so to prepare our hearts for exactly what this is a picture of, I always like to, to take a few minutes to just meditate on a passage of Scripture that articulates the gospel for us. Because imagine if you're on a trip, or for example, a few years ago, it was the first time in a long time that I had uh, been to Dollywood, and we were there with my family. And Dollywood can be a very confusing place. There's just paths this way and that way, and trying to get from this ride to that ride, and shows, and there's plenty of bells and whistles and games and all kinds of other things that can get you distracted. And what is sometimes a clearly delineated line on the map or road on the map can all of a sudden you have to kind of run across or run uh, the, the, the gambit of, of people screaming at you, yelling at you, trying to get you to play games, and it can be confusing. But they have this wonderful little app now. Y'all got the, been to Dollywood and you got the app? Now, it's a little kind of, it, it puts you the little blue dot where you are, and you put in the destination where you want to go, and it just, it gives you the little travel, the best way to get there, what time you're going to get there. If you clicked a ride, it's going to tell you how long the wait is when you get there, so you just know what it is. And maps and our journeys uh, remind us not just where we're going and help us get there and how to get there, they remind us of where we've been, where we come from and where we're going. And if we're ever going to, to take a journey successfully... We need to know where we've been, where we're going, and what it looks like, and what we can expect along the way, and how it is that we need to travel. And so that's what the Lord's Supper is meant to do for each and every one of us. It's meant to be a reminder of where we have been, what has been done for us, and also a reminder of what we are, where we are going, and what it is that we are to be doing here and now. And Paul summarizes this in such a beautiful way in the book of Colossians. And if you want to turn there, I'll be in Colossians chapter 1, but otherwise it'll be on the screen. And it's just, I'm going to read through three verses this morning, beginning Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, where Paul writes, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of of which I, Paul, became a minister. Would you pray with me briefly? Father, we thank you for your word, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the powerful reminders that you give to us again and again. Even Paul, in this letter to the Colossians, as he is encouraging them, as he is pastoring them from a distance, three times in a matter of four chapters, he brings them back to the gospel, that we might be rooted and grounded in the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And so I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would grip our hearts with this bold reminder of what it is that you've done for us and what it is that you expect from us here and now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. As Paul opens these words, or these, these, uh, these verses, it's actually in the, in the original Greek, it's only one sentence. 
with a whole bunch of what Paul likes to throw in there as these little um, modifying uh, statements. And it's one sentence, and he opens it with a reminder of who we were. As he's writing to the Colossian church, the Colossian church is a group of believers in Jesus Christ. And for every single person in this room who is a believer in Jesus Christ, who has received Christ as their Savior, has trusted in Jesus Christ as their righteousness and salvation, this is your past. If you are here and you're in this room this morning and you are, have never received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you've never trusted Him in, in Him as your Savior by confessing your sins and believing upon Him, this is your present. Beginning in verse 21, you who were once alienated, according to Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2, our sin separates us from our God. Sin always separates. It doesn't just separate us from God, sin separates us from one another whether it's in our marriages, as father and, and sons, or mother and daughters, parents and children, as friends and co-workers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, where there is sin, sin causes a separation. We're alienated from one another, but most importantly in this passage of Scripture, sin alienates us from God. Not only are we alienated from God, we were hostile in our minds. We were enemies, the Bible says. While you were yet enemies of God, Christ at the right time died for you. We were hostile, and because we were separated, because we were hostile in our mind, Paul says, we were doing evil things. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm oftentimes tempted to think, especially if you're like me and you were raised in a Christian home and you were raised in the church, and I placed my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and, and, um, and was baptized at the age of nine years old. It can be tempting sometimes to say, you know what, I really wasn't that bad. Or maybe it's our temptation to think even here and now that, you know what, I wasn't that bad or I'm not that bad. But the Bible consistently presents the human condition apart from Jesus Christ as horribly bad, as evil and hostile in mind against God that results in evil deeds. The Bible presents us and reminds us of that bad news that as evil, hostile individuals against and opposed to God, we were helpless. Hostile people, angry people, alienated people who could not do anything about our circumstances. And in being helpless, when we are willing to allow ourselves to be reminded, as David repeatedly reminded and cried out in the, in the Psalms, he's the king of Israel. He is wealthy beyond compare. He has power, and yet he was repeatedly willing to come before the Lord in his prayers and declare, I am poor and I am needy. Jesus said in the Beatitudes, he begins, it is the poor in spirit who will receive the kingdom of God. We must realize that in front of God, we are each and every one morally bankrupt in our heart with nothing that we can offer to Him. And that's the bad news. We are people in desperate need for God to do something and praise God. He is willing to do something and has done something. So though we were hostile in mind, alienated from God, committing evil deeds, what we are now in Jesus Christ, Paul tells us, is reconciled. You were once alienated, you have now been reconciled. What we are now, as weak and incapable as we are, God has done the impossible for us, and he has now reconciled us. And the reconciliation, bringing us back into a relationship with God, came at a cost. 
An extremely high cost. As Paul says here that we are reconciled in Christ's body of flesh by his death. Last week, Brother Joel preached the section of Mark where Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that he was betrayed and before he was crucified. And while he was there in the garden, he was praying desperately that God would deliver him from having to drink the cup that was before him. Brother Joel did a great job of of reminding us what that cup was. That cup was the cup that was prophesied by all of the Old Testament prophets that was the cup of God's wrath that was going to be poured out on sinners that had been filling and filling and filling over time across time and across space, and Jesus was preparing to drink the cup of God's wrath so that you and I might drink the cup of God's grace. In just a moment, we take the Lord's Supper and we take this juice that is meant to remind us of the shed blood of Jesus Christ poured out for us each time that we drink it, we must be reminded that instead of drinking the cup of wrath that we deserve, we get to drink the cup of God's love and grace that came to us by Jesus Christ's sacrifice for us. And just as that passage of Scripture ended with this really kind of odd situation where we see what is most likely a teenage Mark left running from the, the scene, naked and afraid and ashamed, what we see eventually is Jesus Christ hanging on the cross naked and alone, bearing your sin and my sin, that we might be clothed. Not in our shame and in our guilt, but we might be clothed in His righteousness. That's the reminder of the body which is given for us is that we are now in Christ such that when God looks at us, we are no longer seen as those who are alienated and hostile in mind, but we are seen as those who are reconciled and adopted. And Jesus did this for our purpose, that he might one day present us to the Father, instead of being alienated, hostile, and doing evil deeds, we will be presented to the Father, holy and blameless and above reproach. And here's the, just the mystery and the mind-blowing reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are already those things in the face of God. According to Ephesians, Jesus Christ, this is Ascension Sunday. A lot of times we forget, we get caught up in our own American calendar of holidays with Mother's Day, Father's Day, and all of these different things. We forget that the story of Easter continued and that 40 days after the resurrection, he ascended, which is absolutely essential to our understanding of the gospel. And today is the day that we remember that Jesus didn't just raise from the grave, but he ascended as a king to the throne. And that is the anchor and the source of all of God's promises being kept in Jesus Christ that he now holds all the power necessary. Then we can go in his power and in his authority as the one who has ascended to the throne to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ in the world. And according to Ephesians, which Paul most likely wrote at the same time that he wrote this letter to the Colossians, we are already seated with him there. And so in some mysterious way, God sees us now, who are still struggling with sin, who are still suffering in this world, we are actually the ones that by God's grace and the Holy Spirit, in the process that we understand is sanctification, becoming 
holy and blameless and above reproach. As God works on us to reshape us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, in some mysterious way, God doesn't merely see us as becoming those things. He sees what we will be one day in the future that's not there yet, and He regards us as that now. That's grace. What we are becoming, God treats us as now. Despite our faults, despite our failures, despite our rebellion, God treats us as we will deserve to be treated when we are glorified and fixed in the end, here and now, while we are imperfect and broken and failing. So we were hostile and alienated. We are now reconciled and becoming holy and blameless and above reproach. But then Peter gives this great, big, I mean, Paul gives this great, big, strong if. Or another way to say it, assuming that, or presuming that, you do something. It tells us what we were, what we are, and what we are to be. Now, normally when you ask that question, okay, God, if I'm going to be, I am saved, I'm being saved, and one day it's going to be completed, what do I need to do now to be working or, or to be accomplishing salvation? To put it this way, the disciples in John chapter 6 come to Jesus Christ and they ask him the question, what must we be doing to be doing the works of God? If there's any question that I would want to ask Jesus, security my salvation, Knowing that I am hidden in him, if I was standing in front of him, I would want to ask that question. Jesus, okay, tell me what I need to do right here, right now, in order to be doing what you expect from me. What must I be doing to be doing the works of God? And I'm getting my pen and my paper out, and I'm ready to give my checklist. I'm going to read my Bible this many times a day, and I'm going to pray this many times a week, and I'm going to share the gospel this many times, and I'm going to be at church this many times, and I'm going to serve in this ministry, and I'm going to do this. Okay, Jesus, keep giving me. Because if I have a checklist that I'm in control of, I'm God. And we want to turn our relationship with Jesus Christ into a religion that we're in charge of. Because it makes us feel more comfortable. But what Jesus answers the disciples in John chapter 6 is to be doing the work of God is to believe in Jesus, period. As Christians, we are on that journey through Dollywood, and we're constantly distracted with all of these amazing things that we can be doing and having a phenomenal time and do all of these things. And the temptation in Christian life is to take the things that God has given to us as means of embracing and experiencing his grace and a relationship with him and turn those into the things that we trust in instead of Jesus. So that I trust in my baptism. I trust in my profession of faith. I trust in my understanding of scripture. I trust in my church membership. I trust in fill in the blank. And my foundation is not Jesus. My foundation is me. And that's not what Paul says here. He will present you holy and blameless and above reproach, assuming you continue in the faith. It's really important he doesn't say there in your faith. It's continue in the faith. Something that is unique, something that is solid, something that is true, something that is apart from you. Because brothers and sisters, here's the thing. If you're trusting 
in your faith. You're trusting in you. And not in the truth of the promises of God's word. This past week, I had the opportunity to, to find a, 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 a clip online from one of my pr- uh, favorite uh, teachers, writers, seminary professors named D.A. Carson. And in this particular clip, he was thinking about, and he was preaching a sermon, but it was this one section where he gave an illustration where he's talking about the, the anchor, the ground of our salvation. And he thought about, think about the Old Testament picture of salvation, which is the Passover supper. And imagine going back to that night when the angel of death is about to come through the cities of Egypt and through the cities in the land of Goshen where the Israelites are. And there you've got it. The angel of death is about to knock on their door. And you've got two Israelites standing in the land of Goshen who are next door neighbors. And I think he called them Mr. Jones and Mr. Smith, which are great Jewish names. And Mr. Jones comes to Mr. Smith, his next door neighbor, and he says, I am so afraid. The angel of death is about to be outside my door tonight. The angel of death is coming through, and the angel of death is going to take the lives of every firstborn child. And I've got little Johnny in here, and I am terrified, Mr. Smith. I don't know what is going to happen because the angel of death is coming, and I am full of all kinds of anxiety and nerves, and I'm just, I'm fretting over here. To which Mr. Smith responds to Mr. Jones, well, we've heard from Moses, and Moses has told us what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to take the lamb's blood, and we're supposed to put the lamb's blood after sacrificing it on our doorframe, and I see that you've done that. He said, you've done that already, right? And he said, yes, and we're ready for the Passover supper, and I understand all of those things, but it's still the angel of death is going to be out there, and my son's life is on the line, and I'm terrified. This has never happened before. Mr. Jones says to, or Mr. Smith says to Mr. Jones, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm confident. Moses has spoken to the Lord. He's heard from the Lord, and he has given us the things that we're to do. We're to put our, the, the blood on the lintel, and we're to eat the, Lord's, or the, the lamb, and we're going to be okay, and so I'm confident in that. And I wish that I could make you feel better. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that you're so fearful of what's going to happen tonight, but I'll be praying for you and with you, and when we get on the other side of this, we're going to be free. And so I, I can't wait to talk to you tomorrow when all of this is over and done with. And so here you've got Mr. Jones, who's terrified and full of fear and anxiety. And over here you've got Mr. Smith, who's completely confident. And the angel of death shows up that night. Whose firstborn child dies? Neither. Because the promise is not dependent upon the strength of anyone's faith. The promise is dependent upon the strength of God, period. So no matter how frustrated, anxious, fearful, doubtful, anything you might be, that doesn't change the reality that our faith, the faith, is built on the foundation of Jesus. Not your works, not the number of scriptures that you've memorized, not your understanding of scripture or anything else, not by your personal holiness and your mastery of all of the spiritual disciplines. Your future is anchored in Jesus, period. Not what you've done, not what you've prayed, not how many times you've gotten dunked, any of that. It is anchored in Jesus, period. So Paul tells us, how, what do you need to be doing? What must you be doing to, to be being transformed by the power of God? 
to be holy and blameless and above reproach before him, you must remain stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard. Don't give in to all of the different temptations in your life to trust in something other than what Jesus has already done for you. In giving of his life as a sacrifice, in shedding of his blood that you might be rescued and redeemed. Trusting fully in him. And when and where we are built upon that, we are standing firm upon the foundation of all that Jesus has done. Then reading scripture and praying and being connected to a church family and serving and evangelizing and spending time in fasting and spending time in solitude before the Lord and doing all of the different things that are at our disposal that we're called to do, turning away from this sin in order to put on this righteousness. All of that becomes means by which we grow in the grace that is already given to us in Jesus. And so we can trust in him, we can grow in him, as we're reminded again and again as we take the Lord's Supper that always, it is always and only and ever Jesus that is the foundation of your security. It's in his body, his blood, shed for you and for me. It's his righteousness that we receive. It's his armor that we put on. It's his position and place and power that we will inherit with him. End of story. So who are you trusting in today, child of God? Are you trusting more in you? Or are you trusting more and more in Jesus? Remember where you came from. Lift up your eyes and see where you're going. And right here and right now, each and every moment of each and every day, come back to Jesus. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing a song. I invite you during this time to just go before the Lord in prayer, either praise with us, prepare your heart for the moment that we're going to have in just a moment where we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. Come back to God remembering the power of the gospel for you and for me. I'm going to pray. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, in this time, as we remember what you've done for us in Jesus Christ, as we celebrate the victory that we have in him, as we are reminded of what you're doing to us and in us by your presence and by your spirit in our lives, may you now open our eyes that we might see the many different ways that we are looking to anything and everything else but Jesus as the foundation of our faith. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would expose those idols that we might repent of them and that we might return to the relationship that we have with you through Christ, who gave his body, who poured out his blood, who was buried who was raised again as you vindicated him and proved that he was perfect and spotless and righteous in your sight and who was then taken up as he ascended into heaven where he joined you at your right hand, where he is ruling and reigning as the one who created all things, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, everything that he created, everything he holds together, and he is now reigning as the head of the church. And so, Father God, we can trust in what you've done in him and through him. Guard our time. Receive our prayers. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen and amen. I invite you now as we sing a song of response to continue either in a posture of prayer, to stand and sing with us. The altar's open if you need to come and just have a space where you can get before the Lord alone and just confess in any way that you need to trust in Jesus Christ. Ways that you've been looking to something else, maybe you just need to stand and sing with us. And we'll come back in just a moment after this song and take the Lord's Supper. Who knew no sin That we might become His righteousness He humbled Himself He carried the cross Love so amazing Love so
Amen. If you're able, I'm going to invite you to remain standing, and if you have um, your cup at this time, we will prepare to take the Lord's Supper together. And just a few housekeeping things. As we take this, it's a reminder, uh, just a brief reminder that we do not believe that the Bible teaches that this in any way is salvific, meaning that these elements are something and part of our salvation. Instead, these point back to Jesus Christ. And taking of this is to, to declare something to be true. As we see what's here as represented as the body of Jesus Christ and the blood that is poured out for us in Jesus Christ, we are reminded of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension, and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ all in all. As we take it into our body, it is a way of declaring we have believed this, received this for ourselves. And so to take this, this isn't just a snack either. To take of this, when you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, is to tell a lie. And so we're inviting each and every one of you to be a truth teller. And that's why even though we've got children who are here with us, moms, dad, if your children have not yet received Jesus as their Lord and Savior and put their trust and faith in him, then this is a great opportunity for you to teach them what this means and what this represents as opposed to inviting them to take it with you now. This is also, we say this is the Lord's Supper. It's not Spring Creek's. And so if you are here today, whether you are a member of Spring Creek Baptist Church or not, if you are a member of God's family, you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then we invite you to take of this now with us as we remember the body and the bread of Jesus Christ. At the top, there should be a little cellophane piece. If you pull that back and you can take out the wafer that is there. And I'll read a passage of scripture from Paul in another of his letters in 1 Corinthians, where he says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. They took the bread, and together they ate. In the same way, Paul goes on, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And together they drink. Paul concludes in verse 26, that as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you pray with me? And then we will sing again together. Father God, thank you for the powerful reminder. Thank you, Father God, that you are concerned not just with our minds, but with our entire bodies. And so you have given us reminders that aren't just reminders for our head, not just reminders for our heart, but reminders for our taste buds, for our teeth, for our stomachs, for our bodies that you are meant and working to redeem every single aspect of who we are, our thoughts, our emotions, our feelings, our physical beings. And so you invite us in this tactile way to remember all that has been done for us in Jesus Christ. And in doing so, to declare it to be true. And to declare it not only to be true for us, but to be true for the entire world. 
as we take this picture, this reminder of Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection until the day, Heavenly Father, when you split the skies and you return, Lord Jesus, and you make all things new, you make all things right, and then you will take of that final cup of the supper, the cup that talks about glorification and restoration of all things. When we will not just live in a garden that has one tree of life, but we will live in a garden that has an orchard and a river of life. And the orchard of trees of life grow every single month with fruit of life as we exist for all of eternity with you, for you, present, Heavenly Father, and, and freed from sin. So in this bold declaration that we have just participated in, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would root the truth of the gospel deep inside of our hearts such that we might stand on the gospel as the firm foundation, as the first importance in all that we are and all that we do. And then may we build upon that through our obedience to your word, through our service and through our love and through our fellowship with you in your word and in prayer and in so many different ways. I pray that everything that we do bring you glory and honor as you consistently work for our good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.